1: Duval, welcome into another episode of the Gin Jag Podcast, a Friday edition. That's right, we're recording Friday, November 19th, getting you ready for week 11 of the Jaguars season. I'm Jordan DeLugo, joined as always by Jeremy Markoski. How are we doing today, Jeremy?
0: Well, we're doing good. It's a Friday, which is always a plus, you know, getting ready for that weekend. You know, it's a little time yeah. off work, a little time to recoup and and get some time to yourself. But uh, it's unfortunate that's, that this isn't a victory edition of the GenJag podcast, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. And we, uh, we move on and we move forward and we continue the drive, man. We're ready to uh, see what they can do this weekend in the bank at home against a West Coast team. Seems like the uh, narrative is a little flipped here. They're coming over here on the long plane ride and we'll see what we can do.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And um, Jaguars are obviously coming off that heartbreaking loss in Indy. Had the opportunity to go win the game on the last drive. Trevor Lawrence is uh, trying to make something out of nothing. Coughs the ball up. Ball game. But like you said, they return home to host the 49ers, who are 4-5 and on the year. Uh, Not a team that is among the league leaders, for sure. They do have some talent. We will talk about that game Quite a bit later on in the episode. But for now, remind you to check out ginjag.com to keep up with all the latest Jaguars news and analysis. And since it is a Friday, we'll go ahead and pop a top from Bold City Brewery. Make sure to check them out at their downtown location on East Bay Street and at the Riverside Tap Room on Roselle. Drinking a nice ice-cold Duke's Brown Ale right now.
0: Ah. Oh. Oh, yeah, man. I could I could go for me a killer whale right now, dude. I, yep. I could. I could. That Dukes is good, though. I mean, nothing like a pop top on a Friday. Hell Friday yeah. Friday afternoon. If it's five o'clock somewhere. It's five o'clock right here. So, yep. we're you know what you got to do, man. Five
1: ten right here that we're recording. <laughs> we'll get this episode out to you right after we get done recording as soon as we can. So, you guys will have a couple days to digest it before we get to Jaguars 49ers at 1 p.m. at the bank on Sunday. So just news and notes here. It's mostly just going to be injury stuff. Miles Jack, he had a knee issue going on. He had it last week as well. Uh, He's good to go after not practicing earlier in the week. He does not have an injury designation heading in to the weekend. The only questionable Jaguar is James Robinson, who we all know he's dealing with the heel and the knee injury that happened on the same play uh, a couple weeks ago. He's arguably, maybe not even arguably, the single most important player on the team right now. So uh, they really need him to go. He was limited on Friday, and Urban Meyer spoke to the media. He said they're being extremely cautious. He said that James Robinson feels pretty good. I think it's encouraging that he's probably going to play, considering he was limited on Friday after not participating in practice prior. Uh you know, this is a team that desperately needs James Robinson.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'd be totally surprised if he didn't play on Sunday. Uh, you know, just knowing him, how tough he is to fight. I mean, I, I think he wants to be out there. I know he wants to be out there by the way that he's talking. And he was out there last week. You know, it wasn't full force, um, but he did what he could for the team to be out there and, and really give his best effort. So I expect the same on Sunday, but I have no problem with them holding him out of practice. You know, like you said, running things slow, keeping him healthy, healthy. Let's be real. I mean, at two and seven right now, you're not really looking to the playoffs. I mean, it's unfortunate. You thought maybe we could go on a little run here, but that kind of subsided, uh, you know, after last week and a heartbreaking loss. This guy needs to be a focal point of the offense, not only now and for the rest of the season, uh, but for the next few years here in the future. So his long-term health should be their number one priority looking ahead uh, into next year. And that extension should also be uh, coming up here real soon. They need to get that man under contract for a long time.
1: (laughs) Absolutely, I'm with you there. Uh, For the 49ers, Elijah Mitchell, who's been their lead back this year, he's doubtful. He has a rib and finger injury, so he's unlikely to go. Maurice Hurst, their defensive lineman, um, he's out with a calf. Backup running back to Michael Hasty has an ankle. He's also out. So running back-wise, it's looking like Jeff Wilson, who we've seen plenty of him in the past. He's a capable back.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we talked about this right before, even without Elijah Mitchell, obviously without Raheem Mostert, you know, this, this backfield is depleted and luckily enough for the Jaguars, something that I did not think that we'd even be remotely saying this year, the run defense has been really good. The run defense has been really good this year. So I'm comfortable with, you know, whoever's out there, regardless of who's in the backfield for this team to shut down their run. It's the speed elsewhere that I'm really going to be concerned about.
1: Yeah, speed and physicality, really, (laughs) when you talk about some of those offensive weapons for the 49ers, and we'll get into that later. Um, We're going to talk some general Jaguars discussion here, and then we'll transition into our 49ers preview, Uh, but make sure to follow Jeremy on Twitter, at Jeremy Markowski, myself at Jordan DeLugo, and Generation Jaguar, at Generation Jag. So, Jaguars' defense, over the last two weeks, they've combined to allow 24 total points. Of course, the Colts did score on the punt or the punt block touchdown, so that doesn't count against the Jaguars' defense. Six points against the Bills, 13 points against the Colts, or is it 16? Did they get 23? They got 23, so 16 against the Colts. So what, you're sitting at... Uh, What is that, 22 22. points the last couple Mm -hmm. weeks? Yeah, okay.
0: We got math, guys. We're good at this. Don't
1: worry. Math, right? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so anyways, the point of all of that, the defense has been unbelievable the last couple weeks, shutting down two offenses that have been performing at a high level. So my question is, is this Jaguars defense for real?
0: I really hope so. I I really do. After that, Bill's performance – you kind of had a feeling that they figured something out. I mean, it just felt right. It didn't feel like that was just a fluke. I mean, they did it all game. The Bills had no answers. Anything they tried to do, uh, you know, it just didn't work. And so you go into the, the following week, you know, you you go to Indy, and you put up another really good performance against another really strong offensive team. I mean, the Colts have been humming, you know, of late. I think they started 1-4 and four or 2-4. and four, um, so you see where the rat well, started.
1: zero oh, and three.
0: Zero and three Know that. Okay. Right. Right. So before their win streak, uh, before yeah. their win streak, I think they were two and four. Um. And, and so, you know, they started humming offensively. They've got a, a just an absolute behemoth offensive line. Um. They've got Jonathan Taylor, who did his job and ripped up the Jaguars there in the first quarter. But after that, he kind of got bottled up a little bit. Now, the Colts really got away from the run game. I really don't understand why. They really did get away from the run game, but the Jaguars were able to handle whatever they threw at them after the first quarter, and that first quarter was was a debacle. Let's be honest. Nothing was going right, but the team stayed into it. They fought. They made their way all the way back, and if it wasn't for that block punt, the defense wins another game for this team two weeks in a row. You take those seven points off the board, and I know that you can say other things could have happened here and there. I get that, but if you just take the numbers off the board when it's all said and done, that's a 17-16 to 16 victory for the Jaguars. So, the defense has figured something out. Joe Cullen has figured something out. The defensive line has been on an absolute tear um, the past few weeks. In this past two weeks, they've really just been in quarterbacks' faces left and right, and that's what we've been preaching for weeks. You've got to get pressure on the quarterback. You've got to be disruptive up front. Whatever they're doing right now, whatever they changed, it is working. I mean, Taven Bryan, where has he been the past three years? And all of a sudden, the last two weeks, I mean, he's been a focal point of that defensive line. He hasn't been racking up crazy numbers, but he had two sacks against the Bills, I and mean, he's had tackles for loss. He's been in the backfield. I saw a couple of clips today where he was just manhandling Quentin Nelson uh, up there on that offensive line, one of the best offensive line. By the way, this deep. is not the
1: first time he's had some success against Quentin Nelson.
0: Yeah, in that's true. In
1: 2019, when um, you know heading into 2020, I was someone I thought that Taven was ready to be a starter and potentially break out, not at like a Pro Bowl level, but as a competent starter level part of what made me think that was his performance against the colts at the end of 2019 where he was probably the jaguars best defensive lineman in that game and he he handled quentin nelson and the rest of the guys as well up front
0: yeah it was something that we haven't seen from him outside of you know a couple instances like you just Mm -hmm. mentioned so it's been fantastic and i think the biggest thing for joe cullen and something that you know some other people on this team may need to focus on as well and i'm sure we'll get to that here in a few minutes is making the right calls, making the right adjustments based off your personnel. It really does feel like Joe Cullen has started to you know, adjust his scheme and adjust his play calling six, seven weeks into the season based on the personnel and what they've done well this year. And it has been working. You've been seeing results. So I think that's the biggest thing, getting the right guys in the right places with the right matchups. You see a lot of guys moving around across the defensive line. And I think that you can't understate that. You find the right matchup for the right guy based on speed, power, whatever you see on film to exploit that matchup. And they've been doing it the last couple of weeks. So I, I think, I think they're legit. This defense was obviously improved. You know, it, it's not hard to improve from how bad you were last year, but or at the beginning it, of this year, right, right, exactly. So to see them compound that with another great performance, it's still only been two weeks, you know, of, of complete stellar performances. So we got to see it a little bit further down the road here, but, I think they're putting it together
1: a little bit. I do too, and it's almost as if for the last two and a half weeks that every single move Joe Cullen has made has been the perfect move to make. Getting Rudy Ford in there at nickel, he's been an impact player. He's picking balls off. He's a very good blitzer from the nickel position. He's a good run defender from the nickel position. He has size and athleticism. It's really working out there. I don't know if he's your long-term nickel but he could be your long-term big nickel and you can kind of rotate guys in and out of there depending on what you're trying to do but he's been a revelation in that spot um, you mentioned Taven Bryan he had been getting some reps each week but they're focusing those reps on passing downs he's not getting in there against the run very often so he's just able to pin his ears back and getting him in that type of situation I think it's worked out marvelously for the last couple weeks. Then you've got Roy Robertson Harris coming back from injury. Um, he didn't do a ton before he got injured. Uh, and then he was on the shelf for a few weeks. And since he's been back, he's slowly been becoming a serious interior uh, disruptor, just like Taven Bryan has been the last couple of weeks. Um, so getting the interior pressure combined with what you already had going on coming off the edge with, Josh Allen and Dewan Smoot, that has been huge. And also the development of Tyson Campbell over the last couple of weeks, he hasn't been great, but you know, you're picking up a uh, a PBU on a third down, a crucial third down against T. Y. Hilton, you're only allowing about 50% completion percentage uh, when you're in primary coverage. That guy has improved a ton. So when you look across the board, all that combined with running more zone and kind of just making it more difficult for the offense to figure out what's going on based on that too high shell that you're running a little bit more often. It's been a masterful couple weeks for Joe Cullen, who has gone against two of the better offensive minds in football right now. When you look at um, Brian Dayball and Frank Reich,
0: yeah, and I mean, the, the too high shell, the too high safety look has been all the rage in the NFL lately, you know, with these quarterbacks and the way that the game has evolved and just the passing offenses that teams are having to face week in and week out. That's becoming one of the staples of an NFL defense. And seeing uh, Colin switch over to that zone look, keeping everything in front of you, it has proved to be uh, a heaven sent gift for the Jaguars defense. I mean, they're getting time to get to the quarterback they're not letting things blow past them over the top they're making tackles keeping teams in front of them holding teams to field goals giving themselves another chance to potentially force a turnover so while the yardage might be there and you know you may be given some leaks here and there all in all they've been a great defense over the past couple weeks and the emergence of some of those guys can't go understated Dewan Smoot is finally you know, just he, he's that guy that we, we've had him around on the roster for years and he's just been another guy, but now he's starting to kind of turn into that guy. He's opposite of Josh Allen most of the time, and he's getting much, much more pressure than anybody else uh, opposite of Josh Allen, at least in my opinion on that front. Caleb on chase getting relegated to the bench, man. He just hasn't been performing and Dewan Smoot has been showing out. But before we get too far away from the defense, I wanted to get your take. I know you're talking about Rudy Ford and, and you know, saying he's not your long-term you know, question or answer at nickel, but why not? Why not? With oh. the way that he's played the last couple of weeks, you know, we, we I think sometimes we're always looking for what's better and what's next. And I get that with the Jaguars. That's something that we always have to look forward to. But when you're in the moment right now and you see a guy performing like that, not the best in coverage, I guess I get that. But the plays that he's been making can't go understated. And if you could get him to adjust a little bit better in coverage, why can't he be your long-term nickel?
1: Right. And he hasn't been bad in coverage at all. I'm not trying to say that. I just – I worry that eventually having a nickel that's your primary nickel, he's your only guy in there, um, yeah. that's more of a more of a hitter, an athlete type of guy versus a guy that can succeed in coverage. I just don't think that that's going to be sustainable week in and week out against really good football teams. Um, it has been the last few weeks. Even against Seattle, he played really well and i'm excited to see if it continues and if he develops uh how it can work out in the future and i'm not trying to say you you don't want him to be part of your defensive plan uh, i think you certainly do based on what we've seen but i think getting in the, someone in there in certain situations right that is more of a cover guy versus an all around guy could potentially be more beneficial in certain situations
0: right yeah i think in the past a lot that we've seen here in jacksonville is you know finding those kind of i don't want to say gadget guys but finding those guys who kind of have like you know a, a good niche and an, you know in, in in a defense on another team or an offense on another team and i'll kind of explain that here in a second and then trying to plug them in to do everything for the jaguars and it just doesn't work that way when you have guys like rudy ford who are coming in And kind of, you know, playing out of position, but doing a good job of that. You get depth either ahead of them or behind them. Like you said, you don't want to be a primary nickel, but he could be a great nickel in certain packages. Blitzing, as you mentioned, run support, um, you know, when teams like to spread you out, but still run the ball. I think that's a great area for him to be in there as well. Um, And it kind of brings in light to guys like Jamal Agnew. Jamal Agnew is not going to be a number one receiver, really even a number two receiver, probably on any team in his career. But when you do have a guy like that with his particular skill set, obviously you want to exploit that and use as much as you can, but once you pair him up with a legitimate receiving core, you know, and he becomes that kind of special play guy, I think he'll become a lot more effective. So things like that, you know, when you find these guys, You can't really thrust them to the top. You can't really put them, you know, in a position where they're not going to succeed. But now that you do have some of these guys, you got to hold on to them and build around them, put them in the right position and get the other guys that can help you and help those guys do what they do best.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. They are building blocks. They're not, they're like part of the foundation they're not the superstars that you need on your team exactly but they're absolutely helpful pieces that a good team holds on to and continues to utilize in the proper way and the every Jaguars pyramid has a base that.
0: every pyramid has a base jordan
1: yes absolutely i like the i like both those guys a lot and um continuing with the defense a little bit uh i was worried when joe cullen got here not that he wasn't going to be a good defensive coordinator but that he was going to be rigid uh, in terms of wanting to be that man-heavy team that blitzes the crap out of opponents. He's still blitzing, but he's mixing up a lot more different coverages and really adapting to his personnel. And going from a guy like Todd Wash, who was unwilling to, to change anything about his defense for the most part, to a guy like Joe Cullen where he's kind of like just working it every week trying to figure out how how is this going to work, who's going to work best, where, how are we going to get the best results. Uh, it's really refreshing, honestly.
0: Yeah, it, it totally is. And I know that we talked about it at nauseum in the offseason. You know, what is going to change on this defense? You know, what can we look forward to with these coordinators? And I know we talked about, they need to match their play call, their scheme to their personnel. And for the first few weeks, it did not look like that was the case, obviously, as you mentioned. So to see, obviously you want to get in there and try, you know, what you bring with you. And and as soon as it doesn't work, you, you've got to adjust and, you know, just the different looks, the different coverages, the different coverage combos and, and the blitzing from, from zone and stuff like that. I mean, It's something that the the Jaguars have never seen. It's something that that this organization, this franchise, has never seen before. And to see him, like you said, kind of bend back on that, change things up a little bit based on the personnel we have, that's how you coach. That is how you coach football. You have to see what you have and then take it from there. And I just think it's been phenomenal to watch. I hate that it took us you know, six weeks to get here, seven weeks to get here, but we're here. And I think it's been very fun
1: almost always takes a minute with a new defensive scheme and a Mm -hmm. bunch of new pieces. Yeah, it always does. Um, very rarely do you see a team with a new defensive coordinator and a bunch of new guys on the squad and a new head coach just come in and the defense is immediately ready to go. Uh, another crazy thing we've talked about Rudy Ford. We talked about Tyson Campbell three weeks ago. I was convinced that the two biggest needs on this team outside of receiver were cornerback one or two, you know, opposite Shaq Griffin, and nickel. And now it looks like you have two guys that can at least adequately get the job done there. You want to see Tyson continue to do it and Rudy continue to do it. But that the last few weeks have kind of flipped that on its head. It, it's crazy.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not quite ready to to kind of, you know, Knocked that down the list just yet. I still think corner one is or two is still probably our one A and one B need. I, I think I mean, that- if
1: Tyson Campbell continues to play like this, he's going to be a starting outside corner. Shaq Griffin is playing good enough to continue to be a starting outside mm-hmm. corner. So where does that fit?
0: Well, we have to see more. We have to see more. I'm not ready to 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 really on Tyson Campbell yet. So, but I do get it. He he's been playing much better and I'll give him that. That's what I said. Know, if
1: he continues to play like that.
0: Correct. Us. Correct. But I still even even at that I still think his ceiling doesn't doesn't reach what we have in our head ideally when we're talking about shutdown corners on the outside. We've seen a lot from him and we've seen him improve, but still even in that, he showed me he has more room more room to improve based on his skill set. But he hasn't shown me anything yet that makes me think, okay, he can improve to this level. You know what I'm saying? Like, if if you want your outside corners at level ten, like they're your top shutdown guys, he's shown me that he has maybe the potential to get to like a six or a seven. Just flashes. He hasn't shown me that 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 level ten ability yet that I need to see to be comfortable with us bringing him along and working him through. We would need to see it before the end of the year before we you know decide that hey, we don't need to spend a lot of money here or you know waste a high draft pick here. In my opinion.
1: Yeah. And to be fair, I mean, most teams do not have two guys that are playing at eight or above. Yeah. um, Which I think Shaq Griffin is close to that range right now. Yeah. Uh, And gosh, I predicted he was going to get that pick last week and he almost did. He's had four so far right in his hands and he just can't come up with them. It's got to be very frustrating for him. I know it's frustrating for Jack. That one would have been
0: a game changer, too. At the time, yeah. that, that, that would have completely changed the game. I think momentum was starting to shift a little bit there. The Jaguars starting to make a push. I mean, that would have been huge. I think we would have been in plus territory, too, had he caught that ball. I can't remember exactly, but, I mean, oh, man. Yeah, like I said, four right in the hands. Right in the hands.
1: Yeah, and Miles Jack, he's been playing unbelievable football since they took that green dot away. I, don't, I still can't believe they did not understand that before the season.
0: I I I, I, I don't understand that personally from Miles. I, I, when you're that kind of guy, when you're that kind of player, do you just don't think he's comfortable with making the pre-snap changes that he doesn't process it enough properly? But if someone else is making those calls, it can get those. Is that it? Just, just not processing it fast enough?
1: Yeah. I think just overthinking.
0: Man, that's, you know. I get it. I mean, I guess, you know, it's like when you look at the offense. You know, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm an offensive guy. You know, I focus on the offense a lot. You can't, you know, not everybody can play center. It, it's a tough position to be able to right. read defense. So, I, I mean, I guess I get that, but I just, Miles just seems to be so cerebral and he's always there, but maybe he's more of an instinctual guy, which kudos on them for figuring that out, I guess.
1: Yeah, well... I mean, everybody figured it out.
0: <laughs> I just would have never thought that's what it was, though. Them. I, I wonder what tipped them off on that. I, I mean, I never picked up on that before before the season, to be quite honest with you. Oh no, we, we've of an emergence to me.
1: I mean, you know, talked it's about been it. Widely talked about. Yeah, because they took it away last year, and he had his best season of his career.
0: Oh, I missed that. I did. Yeah. I honestly missed that. But yeah. So more power to you. Whatever it
1: takes. <laughs> exactly. Whatever it takes. Whatever and it they're takes. doing every. They're Joe Collins seemingly just. Everything he tries right now is working. Um, let's talk about the other side of the ball um, where it's not been pretty. Um, Trevor Lawrence, the number one overall pick from a statistical standpoint, is struggling. Oh, I want you to talk to me a little bit about Trevor Lawrence and where you're at with this whole thing. I am.
0: Oh, it's tough. It's tough because I don't put any of it on Trevor. Just truthfully, honestly, I mean, let's look at weeks one through three. Bad decisions, bad throws, but that was just him adjusting to the speed of the game um, and, and really realizing what he can and can't do. And since then, we haven't seen that. We've seen some balls that should have been intercepted. We've seen a couple. I will give him that. But,
1: and that happens to every quarterback. Correct.
0: Yeah. And so when you drop the couple here and there, when you get a couple that are dropped, you shake that off and you move on. But again, to what I said a couple weeks ago, I haven't seen him make the same mistakes twice. I haven't seen him throw that ball with a closing corner across the field you know, and try to sneak it in. He's been making throws over the top of defenders. He's been making throws everywhere. They just can't seem to come down with him, man. I mean, these freaking receivers are dropping balls left and right. And that is a huge, huge problem for a rookie quarterback, especially when your offense is based on rhythm. You've got to get Trevor in rhythm. You've got to get the ball moving, the ball out quick and get things rolling. Because when you don't, it really messes up your flow. It messes up your vibe. You've got to get everything rolling quickly. And they're not doing that. And not only that, I don't think Bevel is doing a great job of getting his receivers and getting his personnel in a position to make these kind of plays and make these rhythm throws and just, you know, get a couple yards here and there and move the offense. If you go back and look at some of the tape, there are three or four receivers always who are 10, 15 yards downfield, a lot of crossing, a lot of slants. We don't have time for that. The offensive line, while they're playing well, they're not giving Trevor all day. The quarterback stat of of this or, or the, the notion that this offensive line is, is playing so well because... We haven't given up enough sacks. Look at the the rate of pressure that Trevor is under, and how many times he's been hit, and then compare that to the sack number. We're sixth in the league in sacks, but I think we're like we're twenty eighth in pressures, pressure percentage. That's not a good number. That doesn't bode well across the entire offensive line. You've got some guys that are out. We're gonna get Linder back this week, hopefully. That's a plus. That's great. Ben Shatley
1: hasn't even been the problem
0: and he hasn't, he hasn't either. But I think, I think Linder is probably better in regards to getting them set in the right protections, pointing out pressures. He's been in there more. I mean, it just is what it is. Shatley's fine from a, from a perspective of he, he is a great run blocker. He's been holding his own in the middle, but I think there's probably something lacking there when it comes to adjusting to blitzes, adjusting to the defense, moving around that stuff comes with reps. That stuff comes with seeing it consistently. And when you're on the sideline, you just can't see it consistently. We just gave Joe Cullen all this credit for the way that he has morphed his scheme to fit the personnel. That's what I need to see Bevel do. You don't have burners. You don't have guys that are going to go, you know, blow the lid off of defenses. And even the ones that you do, no one's scared of them. And we're not making those throws anyway. So when you get these bunch formations and you get these stack formations and you get all of this stuff you know, to to create space, your routes and your combos have to do that. Also, you've got to have you know more pick plays, more you know rub plays, stuff where you can get guys underneath the defense to catch the ball, get a couple yards up the field. I'm not seeing that. And if you looked in the beginning of the year, we were all getting onto Trevor for the checkdowns. The checkdowns are open, Trevor. The checkdowns are open, Trevor. Hit the checkdowns. Well, they're not open anymore. They're not open anymore because defenses know that they can hold up over the top. No one's going to get open, and they can check underneath, and it's it's completely covered. And you can see Trevor, he does look for the checkdowns. I've seen it a few times. He looks up down the field, finds a checkdown. They're always covered. Yeah, they're not open. No, defenses are going to adjust, and that was our thing. He started hitting the checkdowns. We started getting some movement there. And now defense have, defenses have adjusted to that. Now we need to adjust to that also. Bevel's got to do a better job of looking at their own film and seeing what defenses are doing to take – the stuff away from them because that's what other defenses are doing. They're watching it every week, saying, "What did this team do to shut down the Jaguars' offense? We're going to replicate it." The NFL is a copycat league. You've got to start changing things up. I see too much of the same, and it's just not working for Trevor in the offense.
1: Yeah, obviously, the offensive line isn't as good as a lot of people make it out to be. Um, middle tier at best, would you say? Middle tier yeah, at best. They're they're middle tier, like. Jawan Taylor and Cam Robinson—they're average. They're average starting tackles, in my opinion. Jawan, I would say, is slightly below average. Where Cam might be slightly above average, but pretty average. Um, Trevor is constantly making them look better than they are statistically. If you watch the games, he's maneuvering in the pocket, like his pocket movement for for a rookie it's unbelievable the way he maneuvers through the pocket and he talked about how Brady does it he might just move half a yard this way half a yard that way half a yard that way and that creates an extra second or so and you've seen Trevor kind of be able to emulate that and grow in that regard but yeah um you have that you have the offensive line penalties which are a consistent issue uh last week they had six offensive penalties Three of them were on Chris Manhurts. Uh, you had a false start. You had a holding penalty, and you had a crackback block. And Juwan Taylor is good for one every week.
0: That was a weak call, by the way. That crackback block was a weak call. Triple it was.
1: Murder. I agree. I didn't know those things are like a point of emphasis. Uh, but it def- it wasn't even to the side. Complete. He was slightly in front of his shoulder, in my opinion.
0: I thought so, too. I thought so, too.
1: Um, but it's
0: still there. It's still 15 yards. You can't put yourself so, in that position. Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, the offensive line is always good for some penalties every week, which, which really hurts. Um, and then the drops are unbelievable. Uh, like I, I counted six drops last week and I think you had three or four more passes where it wasn't a drop, but maybe it was a ball that like a good team goes and catches that for their quarterback. Whereas this team just lets it sail through their hands. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, it's exa- exactly. I know exactly what you mean. When you go get a guy like Devontae Adams or you go get a true number one receiver that you can count on to put the ball in a perimeter just around them and they'll go get it, you start to build trust. You start to build trust in your arm, trust in your ability, and he doesn't have that luxury right now. I mean, how, how confident are you going to be to give a guy a chance at a ball when he's dropped? multiple all day and i'm talking about la and i'm talking about marvin jones i'm talking about all these guys who we expected to be focal points of the offense and really take a step up this year and really help trevor it's been the exact
1: opposite i think to me marvin hasn't really been dropping much i know he has dropped a couple but visca has been dropping a ton and then marvin um there was one specifically where i don't think it was a great throw from trevor down the right side i think a little bit later in the game where marvin I thought he could have like laid out for the ball and he just didn't. Yeah. And uh, that's so frustrating to me. Oh
0: uh, yeah, uh, yeah. 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 I, I mean, it's probably just an overall sense of just, Oh, you know, just, you know, uh, you start to lose. I don't want to say the, you know, the ability, because that's obviously not the case, but you start to lose. And again, not the interest. I'm trying to find the right word here, but yeah. to go make those plays, to put that extra effort in, it kind of, you know, bogs down when you're in this situation. It shouldn't be. You know, that's, it's it's professional football. You should be laying out there for every single thing. But I get it, and and it's tough. And when you as Either a quarterback, the way,
1: yeah, I'm not talking about the it, I'm not talking about the back shoulder where Trevor skipped it because he did.
0: Mm-hmm. He did that uh, bad.
1: This was deeper down the field where it just looked like it was about half a hand length away from Marvin's hands, and if he just goes down for it, maybe he comes up with it.
0: Yeah, and, and that's tough. You want to see guys. Lay out and make that play for your quarterback. And as a quarterback, when you are doing everything you're doing, I mean, I think Trevor is just doing anything and everything he can. Now, you know, that fumble, and we'll, and we'll get into that here in a second, is, is tough when you finally give a guy a chance to go win a game. But everything that he's done, I mean, he's doing everything he can, and guys just aren't helping him out. And the biggest issue I have with what we've been doing this year and the, the way the offense has kind of muddled up the past few weeks is it's too predictable now. It's too predictable. I mean, I mean, it looks like at least to me, the same route combos are being called. You know, consistently that wheel route has you know been overused, and the the fact that we're still lining Lavisca up like he's an X on the outside, he's not. I mean, if you really break it down, we've got two possession receivers. Our number one and number two are possession guys. Marvin Jones is not a burner. He's a possession guy. You expect him to to make every catch when the ball is in his hands. He's not going to blow the lid off the defense. He's not going to make anything spectacular, but he needs to be consistent and needs to be your possession guy. Lavisca has to have the ball in space to make guys miss. He is a guy that you got to put the ball in his hands, you know, five within five yards from line of scrimmage. Give him some space and let him work. We saw that last year with his yak totals and the way he was breaking tackles left and right. That's what he does best. So you've got to start, you know, doing these kind of things to get him in that position and having him go on routes 5, 10 yards, 15 yards downfield, you know, anything more than that I think is just a detriment to his skill set.
1: Yeah, I agree with you at this point and we'll talk a little bit more about Visca in a minute. Um but just the offense, you you talked about Daryl Bevel. At first I was I I saw some things early in the season where I was like, okay, Trevor's just not quite there yet. He's not quite there yet. Um now I'm looking at it and I'm I'm seeing all those iso routes like you mentioned where it's just like go beat your man downfield and that's not happening. Um why is there no pre-snap motion? That's like a built-in cheat code for your quarterback. Why is there not as, as much play action? That's another, you know, just look at the analytics of those two um Those two things you can do, and they basically make it exponentially easier for your quarterback to complete a pass. Then you're talking about, and what's really frustrating about this part for me is that you do see it sometimes where Daryl Bevel calls a play like the Dan Arnold um, quick slant uh, that got the first down in the red zone that led to the James Robinson touchdown. That was a pick route. You had the guys (laughs) uh, inside go pick their guys and you had dan arnold just come in right behind him like you you're able to do that sometimes why isn't that happening more often why yeah. is that type of route concept not happening more often
0: for me when i look at bevel and his series of play calls everything's way too vanilla and you don't see a lot of setup calls and what i mean by that is you know, you run certain motions, you run certain, you know, uh, you know, you, pu- you pull certain linemen, you, you know, crack with certain tight ends and receivers. And then you call those same, pl- you know, motions later in the game with with different plays attached to them. You've got to have the defense off balance and and on their heels and you got to keep them guessing. And I don't see that. I see a lot of the same vanilla stuff with nothing special, no motions. You're not coming back to anything and switching it up. But then every now and then, like you said, he wants to get cute and try something a little bit tricky. And when it doesn't work, well, shit, you've used that one and now that's out of the playbook. You know, you, you have certain calls that you set up for in a game. And then once you use it once or maybe even twice, depending on how many variations you have from a certain formation with certain motions and certain looks, you can't just keep going back to it because it's it's kind of lost its ability to, you know, keep the defense off their heels. You keep pulling guys to the left running power and then counter off of it or something like that, or or boot off of it. Now they're prepared for it next. And, and you can't do that again. I don't see that from Bevel. He just pops things in, you know, at, at random times and it doesn't flow right. His play calling to me just doesn't seem like it's in the right rhythm. There's not enough changes in formation either. Trevor's in the shotgun. I would love to get a breakdown on how often he's in the shotgun with the same bunch look or the same trips look or the same tight look. I mean, nothing looks different. There's nothing there that you see week to week that's like oh we didn't see that on film last week and you got to do that you gotta do that with routes too you know if you run those pick routes in and out i saw something um the other day if you guys don't follow um on twitter syed schemes it's a great a great twitter follow to go look and they just they pick plays out and they just pull stuff and and they put and you can see what i'm talking about you see where you know you've got Twins to the left, and and they're tight, and there's been a lot of pick routes lately with you know the, the inside man stepping up first with the inside guy coming in underneath with a slant. Well, there was a team that switched it up, and instead of running that pick, they set up for that pick, but then the inside guy kind of ran like a little diamond route back inside, and the defense had already switched over. So you had two guys on the outside guy, one guy wide open in the middle. You've got to do stuff like that, but it's got to be consistent, and you've got to have something extra Every week that you're putting in that defenses haven't seen on film yet, you can catch them off guard and then build off of the next week. I haven't seen that at all.
1: No, I haven't either. And we we do have to be honest here. Trevor Lawrence did miss probably four, maybe five throws last week. Um, he also did have that fumble, unfortunately. Um, he also, you know, just didn't see Lavisco when he was wide open. Probably would have had a touchdown. Uh, but look quarterbacks are asked to complete the ball in the NFL. You know, you're asked to throw the ball like 30 to 40 times a game on average. Now, most quarterbacks have a couple bad plays every game. Did Trevor have a couple more than you would like in this one? Sure. But I think a big part of that is the fact that the drops are happening. The offensive line isn't doing as well as people are giving them credit for. The penalties are happening and the fact that people just aren't open. Nearly enough because of Daryl Bevel's, well, because of the lack of talent outside, and because Daryl Bevel is unwilling to adjust to that lack of talent consistently. So, all of that adds up to Trevor Lawrence having a really, really difficult job right now. And it's very frustrating. I think the Jaguars offense, the way it's currently being constructed and game planned and ran, is failing Trevor Lawrence.
0: Yeah, I got to get something off my chest real quick because I need everyone in Duval to, to hear me out and listen to this real quick. Can we, for whatever it's worth, knock it off with the Trevor Lawrence has to be benched BS? And I know most people have no clue what the hell they're talking about. I get that. But there are some people out there who I see that, you know, think Trevor's not ready yet. That No, he's the best quarterback we have on this roster and it's not even close. Yeah, he missed a couple throws. Guess what? He's a rookie quarterback. Another couple things he didn't mention here that, that I was thinking about also is you are not going to make every single throw as a rookie. We've seen him make so many throws, though, that just drop your jaw. And then we see him miss a couple, and we've seen all the drops. And you put all that in together. The reason why I think it's not a big deal is because you see this man going out and, and doing virtually everything on his own for this offense week in and week out. James Robinson hasn't been you know, there the, the, the last – well, probably just this last week. Obviously, he left in Seattle, and, and that game was a wash. We're not going to worry about that. But you don't have that guy to lean on. And so when you've got a guy that's out there doing every single thing that he possibly can for this team, we take for granted the great stuff that he does when he does something bad, like when he misses that wide-open game-selling touchdown what would have been to Marvin Buffalo against Buffalo. We still won. That's great. But that was a missed throw. He missed a couple last week. You mentioned it. But on top of that... When you look at everything he has done so well, you can't discredit that. And you can't look at that and just say, "Okay, he missed a few years, so we're done with him." I mean, I, I it just drives me absolutely bonkers. Let him grow. Then get some freaking receivers who will catch the ball consistently, and then you won't be having these issues. I mean, it's just it's 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 ridiculous.
1: Yeah, you can't take him out cuz every rep his rookie season is very valuable, and it's not too big for him it's too big for the people around him in my mind especially as offensive coordinator uh, unfortunately now i want to talk a little bit about visca because he has been you know the object of a lot of scorn from the jaguars fans and ourselves included he's dropped a lot of passes this year which is really weird to me because It's never been an issue in the past. You look at what he did at Colorado. He didn't have a ton of drops. You look at what he did his rookie year, did not have a ton of drops. Look at what he did throughout the summer in training camp, not a lot of drops. I'm just really curious on where this is coming from. And for me, I just would caution people against quitting on this guy. You know, It's his second year. He hasn't had the most ideal circumstances this year. He's been thrust into a role that he kind of wasn't ready for, even though he still is running a ton from the slot. Um, The drops have been really frustrating, but then you also see against the Dolphins, two fourth down conversion catches. Uh, You saw the amazing play earlier in the year, uh, the 58-yarder where he just, I think, broke about six tackles on that play. It's frustrating what's happening, but I would encourage... Daryl Bevel and the Jaguars to keep trying to use him and keep trying to figure out and and move past the drops because I think there is a good offensive weapon in there somewhere.
0: Yeah, I think you said it best right there when you said it's just too much for him. It's too much for this second-year guy to be doing everything that you're asking him to do. The volume I think that we're expecting out of him is, is too much for him. To be quite honest, I I don't think he is a sheer volume receiver. He's just not that guy. And yeah, he didn't have a lot of drops at Colorado. But again, like, look, we're playing at Colorado. You know, this is the NFL. It's different. He and, didn't
1: last year either, though. And
0: he didn't last year. And I was going to get that. He's not. He wasn't. You weren't forcing the ball to him. He wasn't your all or nothing go to guy. And the offense was in a very different place last year. Now with injuries and and with guys not performing and with receivers not being able to you know step up for Trevor they're asking him to do a lot more and you're sending a guy who's barely 6 feet down the field i think all too often and i just talked about that so i think what they've got to do is get him back to being you know that that you know short yardage give him the ball let him work type of guy take the load off of him and put him in a better position move him around more move him back inside, find somebody to go out there and just hold that place on the outside. doesn't matter who it is. It just can't be Visca. And I think that's the biggest thing for him. And it has been frustrating. I don't want them to quit on him at all whatsoever. And and no one should be calling for that. We've seen too much from him. We've seen the athleticism, what he can do. I mean, it's absolutely, it's absolutely phenomenal. He's a freak athlete and he's a fighter and he's tough. And I look at other guys and other offenses and just, you know, kind of see how he would work and, 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 you know, put him on, and I know it's going to be obviously, but you know, going to be crazy because of who they are, put him on the chiefs, put them on the Packers, put them on, you know, on other the 49ers t- put him on the 49ers. Yeah. You know, he's not as fast as Debo Samuel, but he's going to break freaking tackles and he's hard to bring down. He's got to be one of those guys. You know, he's not Tyree kill. He's not going to run past everybody and you're just going to throw it up and have him go get under it. So you've, you've got to change up the way that you use him. I don't think he needs to be in the backfield. I personally don't think that's the, the best spot for him at all. You can start him in the backfield and bring him out in motion start him in the slot, bring him to the backfield, you know, maybe run some screens and stuff like that, but I don't think he should be running the ball. I don't think he should be the primary receiver out of the backfield at all whatsoever. I don't think that's part of his skill set.
1: Yeah. So, did you say you don't think he should be running the ball?
0: I don't personally. No. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. no, I I don't. I I don't. I I there's a lot more to that when it comes to vision. That I think people just—he's uh, a great athlete. Don't get me wrong, and, and I think the, the craze lately is is putting these guys in the backfield and putting these athletes back there. You see it a lot, but certain guys you have to have that vision, and I don't know if Fiska has that vision. You know, running backs—they're—they're yeah. they're accustomed to it. They're obviously—you know—it's it, not part of their good, nature.
1: Not all running backs even have vision.
0: They don't. But it's so
1: here's—yeah, it's hard. It
0: is. But here's the thing—you know—I think with running backs it's a little bit different because you got guys that are. One cut, power back, downhill guys. They're not gonna, you know, read from. You're not. They're not gonna be patient behind the line of scrimmage. Find the hole, you know. Make good cuts, make good reads. They're gonna take one step, one cut up the field, at the first hole they can. Duck their head and get you three or four yards. Then you've got your guys who are scat backs. coming out of the backfield. They want to get on the edge. They're gonna make you miss on the outside. They're not gonna get up in the middle. And then you've got guys like I think James Robinson is one of those guys. Le'Veon Bell, I think, is the perfect example of the patience guy that I'm talking about that gets the ball, lets his line go to work, and then explodes through the hole. Can really read, see what's coming at him. The vision is there. The vision is immaculate. And that, I think, is is really the biggest takeaway. is not a guy that you're going to give the ball, tell him to put one foot in the ground and, and run through people. No,
1: I don't think he should be a primary back. I'm not trying to say that. But I do no, think no, no. getting him the ball – Just getting him the ball and getting him going is a good thing. Yeah. Um, And I I do think he can give you more out of the backfield than Carlos Hyde can right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Andrew Wingard, I want to talk about real quick before we get into the 49ers. Oh, Lord. So I know Andrew Wingard has had like some decent games this year. But what's most frustrating to me is that you are in a division with Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry. And you have a safety who is unwilling to, to bring it against those guys and unable to bring it against those guys. Those two games against the Titans and the Colts, he was just abysmal and tackling. So many missed tackles. And I think – I just can't imagine why he's still on the field. I, I really don't get it. But when you have Andre Cisco, who can definitely bring the wood and lay the wood, uh, I just – that's my weekly why the hell is Andrew Wingard on the field.
0: Yeah, Andre Cisco must have pissed in somebody's Wheaties or something, man. I don't know what he did to get in the doghouse, but they just refuse to put him on the field. And you're right. You can't get any worse than Andrew Winger in, in certain situations. He's been good at times. He has, but he's so inconsistent. And we've said this for years. You know, every every time he makes a play or two, everyone kind of, you know, reverts back to the oh, Andrew Wingard is serviceable. He's not. He's not serviceable. Take him to any other team in the NFL. He probably doesn't even make the team. He doesn't yeah. tackle anybody.
1: I didn't think he should make this team.
0: No, he shouldn't have it. I I don't understand. I mean, special teams, great special teamer. You know, I mean, he really is. And, and he flies around and, and he makes tackles. But like you said, when you've got Derrick Henry and you've got these big backs coming at you, he's shown time and time again that he quite literally runs from contact. I mean, Derrick Henry, it was one man to beat. It, it's you and Derrick Henry in the end zone. And, and all you've got to do is, is at least make an attempt. He's probably going to run you over. But you got to show me that you are at least going to put it out there for the team, and and that that right there, that specific play, if you guys know what I am talking about, um, against the Titans here at home, is when I lost all faith in and Andrew Winger, and I don't want him on the team anymore. I am sorry, I just I don't, I don't even want him to see him on the field. Take number forty two and just put it away.
1: Yeah, and it's totally different. Like if you didn't play in a division with just two amazing backs, um, but yeah. So let's move on. Let's talk about Jack's 49ers. The 49ers are four and five, coming off that huge win over their division rival, the Rams, who just got OBJ and Von Miller, 31 to 10, Monday Night Football. So they are Monday night, and then traveling from West Coast to East Coast. So maybe you have a little bit of that letdown from you know having to play what essentially is a 10 a.m. game for them after a Monday Night contest. I don't know.
0: Yeah, short week, long plane ride. I mean, we know that the Jags don't ever do well going to the West Coast, so maybe they can have some of that good luck come their way uh, with a team coming from the West Coast to the East Coast, but everyone was all up in arms about the, the, the Rams and 49ers game, and I mean, let's put that in perspective. It's a divisional game. These two teams know each other better than any other teams in the NFL, and you can say that for, you know, even the AFC South. I mean, the Jaguars beat the Colts last year, didn't win another game for 20 more or however many it was, but you always play your division rivals much better than anybody else. We saw last week here uh, with, with Jacksonville and in Indy and San Fran. I mean, kudos to them did a great job of exploiting, you know, all the issues that the Rams have, but let's not, you know, forget they just got Von Miller. It's going to take him some time to get into, to really rhythm and, and really get into the scheme. And they lost Robert Woods. And as much as you thought OBJ was going to replace Robert Woods, it's a totally different position. They do totally different things. So, I just the, the big
1: Acclamation again An
0: acclamation, Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot that, that, that goes into that. And I think that they were definitely caught off guard. But that 49ers defense, man, and that offense and that speed, I mean, it can't go understated. If you are not ready, if you are not prepared for this team, they will burn you. They will burn you bad. So hopefully we are up to the challenge, man, because they got some burners.
1: Yeah. So the 49ers have never won in Jacksonville. 0-2? Oh, now, they haven't been here since 2005. They're 0-2. They did beat the Jaguars for a Jaguars home game in London. Obviously, that's not in Jacksonville. But interesting little tidbit. We'll see how that plays out. Oh, got 0-5 um,
0: Alex Smith rookie year 5 right?
1: I don't know. <laughs> it's got to be that long honestly.
0: ago. I think so. <laughs>
1: um, But yeah, obviously, that doesn't really matter now. We'll see if that streak continues. But uh, talking about the... 49ers offense and the Jaguars defense 49ers they want to run the ball that's what they want to do Um, they're one of the few teams in the NFL that really prefers to run the ball and what's been interesting about how they've been doing it lately they've been lining up in these spread formations running it from the gun and then they've been getting in these tight formations uh, with big personnel and then that's when they're passing the ball so they're getting defenses they're, they're getting creating mismatches by alignment, if that makes sense. If they're spreading you out, you can't have all your big run defenders on the field. If they're lined up tight, you get your run guys in there, and then you don't have your pass coverage guys. It's It's been working really well with the guys they have.
0: It's almost like they're scheming to their personnel and their play. Wow. I mean, who would have ever thought of doing something like that? I have no clue. I mean it it's been fantastic. I mean the 49ers like you mentioned, they've Last always couple been couple weeks it's been big. They've always been a team who is going to match you a lot in 22 personnel. Two tight ends, a fullback, a running back. They like to you know get close and it hasn't been something that's been super effective for them uh in the, in the first few weeks because of the injury to Mostert, Um and and because I think of their personnel and you look at what I just talked about a few minutes ago, the difference in running backs. The 49ers have a lot of these quick scat, one cut type of guys, not a lot of downhill runners, speed outside. So they've been doing a great job of, of, of getting their personnel in the right positioning and the right formations to execute well against nickel defenses. Like you just mentioned, you know, get the big guys out, bring the little guys in your defense subs, and it opens you up to basically, you know, your five on our five, seven, give or take, you know, you take out that linebacker, put a nickel in. Okay, well, we're already in a three four. So that takes one guy out. You're probably going to take two guys out because they're probably going to have, you know, probably 40 personnel on that side. I'm sorry, not 40 personnel. There's no four tenants, but you get what I'm saying. Four wide receivers with a running back in the backfield. I mean, that, that that immediately puts you in a disadvantage between the tackles, and they've been exploiting that for weeks. So luckily enough, the Jaguars have been really great at the point of attack. Their linebackers tackle really well, and their nickel guys have been tackling really well. So hopefully we can, you know, counter that with some great uptight tight to the line defense, especially on first downs, and especially when they spread you out, because like you said, they're going to do that. They're going to spread you out. They're going to get yards. They're going to turn around. They're going to the play action. They're going to get the run game going and they're going to beat you over the top.
1: Yeah. Jimmy G has been really efficient the last few weeks. Um, Debo Samuel is just one of the best offensive weapons in football. George Kittle, you know, one of the top one, two, three tight ends in football, wherever you want to put them there. And Brandon, Iuke they've been using more and more as the season's progressed and Debo and Ayuk, they just get the ball to them so quickly in space. And then with the Rams, they just were not ready to tackle those guys. So when you're talking about Debo and Ayuk, the Jaguars secondary, Rudy Ford, Tyson Campbell, Shaquille Griffin, Andrew Wingard, Rayshon Jenkins. Those guys have to be ready to tackle as soon as those guys get the ball because they've been breaking a ton of tackles running through them, running around them. Uh, it, it's a, it's a tough thing to stop when you talk about a team that is so good running the ball, but also has three really dynamic weapons and an efficient quarterback.
0: It's all the things that we just talk about wanting the Jaguars to do with guys like LaVisca. But the difference is, is that, the 49ers have the speed. They have the speed to beat you deep. They have the athletes to really go over the top. And when you can do that, it makes opposing defenses kind of back off a little bit. They've got to make sure that they can hold you in front before they can press up on you. And that's what the Jaguars don't have that. You don't have that speed to blow by guys. So defenses are going to press you up. That's why it's more difficult for our guys to get in space. The 49ers have been doing... Everything that that I want the Jaguars to do, like you just mentioned, get the ball out of your hands quick to these guys in space and let them make a play.
1: Yeah, and they've been doing it big time. Now, the Jaguars are very good at stopping the run. They have improved against the pass thanks to their ability to cover a little bit better and to get some interior pressure with Robertson Harris and Taven Bryan and Adam Gotzes at times and you know Malcolm Brown's done it a little bit, Devon Hamilton's done it a little bit, even though those guys are more run stuffers, they still have had a little impact in that regard as well. So for the Jaguars, you bottom line is you've got to stop their rushing attack. And if you can slow that down, you can kind of dictate and make Jimmy G throw the ball. And then you've just got to come up with that pressure and get the job done. And it's been easier said than done for defenses against this 49ers offense in recent weeks.
0: And that's going to be something that the Jaguars really need to focus on. You just mentioned getting pressure on Jimmy G, not letting him sit back there and and dissect the defense when they do go for those shot plays, because they're going to get the ball out quick a lot. They're going to get the ball quick a lot. So you're probably not going to have a lot of time to get to the quarterback, but when you get them in, you know, second and long, third and long, by stopping the run and making tackles exactly, then you have a chance this 49ers offensive line though, especially at the tackle position, very, very very good. Trent Williams. Glad you just said that. Mike McGlinchey, <laughs> I mean, they probably have one of the best tackle combos in the NFL and for a team that their best pass rusher pr- plays predominantly on the edge, Josh Allen is going to have to make an impact and they're probably going to key him on this week. They're going to key him with how well he's been playing. So, the question is Can the other guys, can they get in there and can they make some pressure? Interior the interior D-line this week is going to be huge. Dewan Smoot needs to get bumped back inside a lot this week, I think. He's going to have to generate pressure from the middle because you're going to have a lot of eyes on Josh Allen. And on the other side, you got Trent Williams, and he is what, 98.7, I think was his grade this year um, so far for PFF. I mean, he's been absolutely... He's the best
1: player in football, in my opinion.
0: Absolutely phenomenal.
1: At 33 years old, he's the best player in football.
0: And people thought he was done, man. And people didn't, you know, it, just, it, it blows my mind. I mean, he's absolutely fantastic. So, everything's going to have to be in the interior because they have great tackles who reach block extremely well and allow those backs to get on the outside and and really use their speed against defenses Taven Bryan um, uh, Devon Hamilton um, you know like I said Dewan Smoot these guys are going to have to get something going in the interior on the guards in the center
1: yeah and just Josh Allen versus Trent Williams like Josh Allen has been you know bar none over the last month one of the very best pass rushers in football. 27 quarterback pressures, three sacks. He's been amazing as a pass rusher, but also dropping back in the 3 4, you know, having to drop into the shallow zones and then also as a run defender. The 49ers do uh, a lot with their offensive line. So you might not see Trent Williams and Josh Allen one on one and pass pro a ton because you'll see like, them double team Josh Allen with use check and Kittle uh things like that. But when those two guys are matched up one-on-one, I cannot wait to watch because Trent Williams, like I said, I think he's the best football player in the NFL right now. Josh Allen's playing like one of the best. If he wants to stake his claim as one of the best young pass rushers in football, go get a sack against Trent Williams.
0: Yeah. Definitely. How
1: crazy would that be?
0: But if, but if I'm Joe Cullen, I'm, I'm moving Josh Allen around. Uh, not not a chance. I'm just lining him up over Trent Williams all day. I just yeah, don't think you win that matchup.
1: Going to get neutralized. Yeah. I
0: just, I, so I, I'm moving him around. I'm bringing pressure from different locations. I'm stacking sides of the ball. Uh, and, I, and I'm 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 dropping in and out of coverage. I mean, it's something that he's been doing great all week is getting guys uh, all week. Excuse me, the last few weeks, getting guys up close to the line of scrimmage and dropping them back at the snap. You know, making quarterbacks really dissect what's going on. I think that has been huge for the success of this defense and the pass rush. You got to do that more this week. And you've got to either overload Trent Williams and, and isolate him and get other guys moving around him, leave him on an Island with one guy and get other guys twisting, stunting, stunting, you know, you, you've got to isolate him and move Josh Allen over to the other side. Let him really go to work on the right tackle because predominantly in the NFL, historically, not so much anymore these days, but historically, your your left tackle is your pass guy. He's the blind side blocker. He's the guy who's going to be the best uh, pass pro guy on your team. And your right side tackle usually is more of a power guy. So I think that's why they've lined up Josh Allen a lot on right tackles throughout the last couple weeks. So I think they need to keep doing that and, and go put yourself in a position to win. The matchup of Josh Allen versus Mike McClinchy gives me a lot more confidence than the matchup of Josh Allen versus Trent Williams all game. No doubt. All game.
1: And they're going to try to – that's going to be a great chess match because Mm -hmm. Kyle Shanahan knows that. Yeah. And he's going to – if that's the case, he's going to probably chip with Juszczyk or Kittle or whoever uh, on the right side, and we'll see how it all plays out. It'll be fun. If there's one way that on these – if you're able to dictate and make the 49ers throw the ball, if there's one lineman – that you can really look at and say that you could probably take advantage of him. Daniel Brunskill, the right guard, he's allowing a lot of pressure. He's allowing some sacks, some quarterback hits. That's the guy. Whoever's lined up on that guy when it's third and medium, third and long, they've got to beat him because the other guys, they're not going to get beat a lot. Whoever's on him is going to have to beat him. And, you know, I say the other guys won't get beat a lot. Well, you had Taven Bryan beating Quentin Nelson last week. So I'm not saying that it can't happen, but if there is a weak link, Daniel Brunskill's the one at right guard. And RRH, Gotsis, Bryan, they've got to be able to beat that guy.
0: Yeah. Like I said, pressure from the interior is going to be huge this week. And something that I would also like to see a lot is blitzing from distance with stunts. On the front. And what that does is, you know, when, when you when you bring an end inside attacking the inside shoulder of said tackle and the outside shoulder of the guard, you pinch down uh, the, the, the offensive line on one side. You loop around the tackle on the outside to spread them back out. And it's kind of like an accordion. You know, you squeeze it in and then you spread it back out. It's going to leave you some space in the middle because they now have to kick out to the outside and really elongate the pocket. At that point, you got to have somebody coming in Rudy Ford, somebody dropping out of coverage and then blitzing up the middle late. You have to send some sort of delayed blitz. As soon as the offensive I got line... I
1: Miles Jack doing that a little bit last week, got, effectively. Yeah,
0: yeah, gotta see it more. You gotta create those mismatches and give your linebackers a chance to get through the line with some space, especially when they're coming up the middle. You have these edge guys, obviously, that are that are rushing off the edge and, and they do their best job in space. But when you're bringing these extra blitzing guys and you're bringing them up the middle, if you don't get the offensive line out of position... It's really hard for a two hundred and thirty pound something, you know, skinny frame like Miles Jack just to run through these offensive linemen.
1: Yeah, and it was laughable to see that early in the season. That's exactly what they were doing, is they were just having like Jack was basically, he was blitzing, but he was blitzing at the very beginning of the play. And they, it wasn't a blitz because yep. it was only four rushers.
0: Yep. It was just Mike go. There was, there was, not, there was no, work. no stunts, no twists. It, it was just all Mike go on the snap. And, and that's not going to really set you up for a lot of success. You don't miles. Jack's not that guy. I don't really know yeah. any, any, any traditional linebackers these days that are like that. I Maybe mean,
1: Michael Parsons. I was about to say
0: besides Michael Parsons in <laughs> Dallas with the amount of pressure that he puts up. From that linebacker position, you just don't have those guys anymore. The NFL has changed, so you, you've got to do some things with your speed and moving guys around to create space.
1: Yeah. Now, flipping sides of the ball, we talked a lot about the Jags' offense. I think we probably talked about it for about 30 minutes there. but So we know what's been going wrong there. Uh, for the 49ers' defense, they haven't been great. Obviously, they had a big-time performance against the Rams, but – I think that was as much about the Rams beating themselves as it was the 49ers. They do have talent with Eric Armstead up front. Fred Warner is one of the best linebackers. Jimmy Ward's back there at safety. They just got him back, and he's one of the best safeties, uh, especially in that scheme. He plays very well. They're running a 4-3. They're not doing a whole lot to stop the run or the pass right now. So, if you're the Jaguars, in my mind, you just can't beat yourselves like you've been doing the last couple of weeks.
0: I agree 100%. Uh, San Fran. When you get to that 4-3 defense, I mean, it, I don't want to say they become vanilla because there's a lot of things you can do with coverages. But when you get to that 4-3 defense, there's not a lot of stunting. There's not a lot of you know special things that you can do up front to really create mismatches and create space like we're talking about. That 4-3 is I've got four guys that are coming every single play. Might send a linebacker here and there usually, but most of the time those guys are playing the run and dropping out. So you're going to have to really hold up front with those guys. You just mentioned Teron Armstead, Nick Bosa, um, you know, Fred Warner sending him every now and then, Um, you know, they don't have the guys on the edge anymore, like D Ford, um, you know, to make that impact. So you've really got to be stout up front, give Trevor time to make throws. And then are we going to be able to, to catch the ball? Are we going to be able to give Trevor a chance to to deliver a catchable ball? And are the receivers going to bring him in? And I think to start the game, it's got to be quick. It's got to be quick game. Don't let this four-man pass rush get into a rhythm early. Don't let them build confidence. You can't put yourself out of position with the penalties. Like you just mentioned, can't have the false starts, can't have the illegal formations, can't have the holdings. As soon as you get uh, you know, back behind the sticks. That's when this defense can be really disrupted because they're going to drop back. They're going to bring four and they're going to dare you to get the ball down the field. And this offense has just not done that very well.
1: Yeah. And it's one thing to have a couple of those penalties, a few of those penalties, but when it's like almost every drive, there's a crippling penalty. It's just really hard to overcome. And the drops got to, got to limit those. You can't have six drops in a game. It's just, you can't have it obviously. And, um, like we said, pre-snap motion, rubs, picks, bunches, play action, screen passes. These are things that make offense easy. You need to try to make it easy this week. Um, and, you know, Trevor, just don't lose confidence in what's going on. I know it'd be really easy to do so if, if you're sitting in Trevor Lawrence's shoes. But I think he's mentally strong enough to keep, keep the positivity going and uh, keep working through this. It's just about if everybody else around him can help him.
0: And and for what it's worth, all the talent we just mentioned – you know, the 49ers have been lackluster defensively as my dog is obviously barking at someone out front. So I do apologize, but they, they've been lackluster defensively and, and with all those names, D Fort, Eric Armstead. Um, I don't know why I know I said Toronto earlier, so I apologize about that. They haven't been able to have the disruptive tendencies that they have in the past. I mean, San Fran, I thought was gonna be one of the best defenses coming in. So yeah. luckily I mean, enough for lost us, a
1: lot of guys over the last couple of years, they
0: have, and, and injuries this year have been tough. I mean, they've got, they're, they're down a couple corners too. And so, yeah, the unfortunate thing is, is that we see another team that has uh, some weakness in the secondary, especially on the outsides. Jimmy Ward is a great safety. he's got that locked down, but you've got a couple guys that don't have a lot of experience in the NFL playing on the outside. So again, can we you know explore and, and, and exploit those matchups, exploit those those one- on ones and and get our receivers just some separation? You've got to test these guys early. You really do. I think that's that's where the weakness really lies on this defense is on the outside.
1: Yeah, and they've been giving up yard o- yards on the ground as well. So I think as long as you don't beat yourself, you have a chance. But let's be honest, are the Jaguars going to not beat themselves? I don't know. <laughs> What's your prediction for this one?
0: <sighs> you know, I just I, – I, 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 I keep I I think long. we pulled even now. Yeah, we are. After last week, we are I think we're both – at- Yep. Five and four. Yep, went on a limb there to, to try to get the Jags a game up there, and it didn't happen. I I I don't see this being one that we're going to take either. I mean, I just think just their offensive personnel. It's it's just it's it's so fast, and there's a lot of that stuff that the Jaguars have struggled with, you know, this year. And I think they're going to exploit that. They're coached, I think, extremely well. Um, for what it's worth, Kyle Shanahan's getting a lot of heat right now, but I think he's a fantastic coach. Um,
1: the heat, I think, is more about personnel than coaching yeah
0: which i mean you know
1: who's who's a huge say um, in personnel so you should take heat for that
0: which is fair and i'll give him that and i'll give him that but i i I don't think the jaguars and
1: o's on the field
0: fantastic yeah i i I don't think the jaguars are gonna be able to pull this one out um i I think the 49ers are just they're on a roll right now uh coming off a great win they're a great team um you know they're very physical up front and i think that they're gonna take it to the jaguars um i don't want to say we're gonna get blown out Um, but I, I think these West coast, these NFC teams, man, just always give us a little bit of trouble. So I see the 49ers winning it. Um, I give them 28 to 10. Um, the Jaguars offense just hasn't shown me that they're ready to, you know, win a game that the defense can't keep them in.
1: Yeah, I think the Jag, I think the 49ers could blow out the Jaguars. I do think that's well within the realm of possibility. Uh, And I didn't really think that last week, um, with the Colts game. I do think the 49ers could blow him out. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to come down to a few plays. I think it might be decided on the last drive of the game. It's a six and a half point spread. The 49ers are favored. I'm taking 49ers, 24, Jaguars, 18. So I'm taking the Jaguars against the spread, but the 49ers straight up. Um we didn't even talk about the kicking issues the Jaguars have. Uh, that's a major problem. Um, Matt Wright's inconsistencies as a kicker have been kind of hurting the team the last few weeks. I think that's that's going to hurt. Uh, I think there's just going to be a few too many mistakes on the offensive side of the ball uh, for them to get it done.
0: You said 20 at 14? 24-18. 24-18. Okay,
1: okay. Yeah.
0: I saw, okay. Yeah. I'd yeah, love them to cover. So that's what I've got. I refuse to to gamble on the Jaguars or at oh, all whatsoever. Yeah. Because, I don't
1: gamble really at all, but just like, you know, if I'm advising someone, I, I'm taking the Jags <laughs> against the spread, but I, I wouldn't bet on this one really. No, Cause if I, I bet
0: with them, they always break my heart and lose me money. And I've had a bet against them. I, I can't root against the Jaguars. I just can't do it.
1: <laughs> yeah. so. Um, but yeah, that'll do it for the show unless you got anything else for us, Jeremy.
0: No, I don't. I just I, I wanna urge everybody again to lay off Trevor a little bit. Remember where we are, where we were. Even at two and seven, this team is a hell of a lot better and competitive compared to last year. So keep that in mind. And and you know, once we do get him some weapons, this offseason is going to be, I think, uh something that's that's gonna be looked at for a very long time. I think we're on the right track. I think we're almost there.
1: Yeah. I do and Urban Meyer believes the same thing.
0: Uh well, Urban Meyer can say whatever he wants. He's talking he, out of his last twenty four seconds. He refuses
1: but... to believe that they are far off.
0: But, but I think he's right though. Look at the way they fight. I mean, this yeah. this team last year down 17 0 in the first quarter. How do you think that game would have ended? Fifty four yeah, three.
1: They're a few pieces away from being competitive every week.
0: Competitive every week. Yeah, that's what I need. I need to see consistent competitiveness. And and I think we've seen that outside of a few weeks, though. To be completely yeah. honest, what what game have they not been somewhat competitive in besides Seattle? And maybe Houston week one. And week one fluke. we we'll throw it out the window. We yeah, know what happened in week
1: Broncos, one. they weren't really close, even though they only lost by 10. Yeah. Bengals, very close game. Obviously should have had that one. Titans, it's 37-19, but the Titans basically got gifted two touchdowns. And then Seahawks, yeah. The cards, Patriots,
0: you should yeah, have then. won. Bengals, you should have won. So I mean, I, I just it, in each of these games, I think you can look back and just say it's on us. Yeah. The, the the Cardinals game that was on us. The Bengals game that was on us. I mean, it, it takes a real you know quick turnaround for this team to be you know what six and. What, what would that be six and or five and five something like that you know well, they,
1: got, just- they got beat handily by broncos and texans so you're going to cardinals you were leading that game with about 20 minutes left um so you could say that one so and not only Bengals, leading that
0: game you should have put that game away that game yeah. should have been put away
1: cardinals and bingles you had on the ropes you know 37 19 titans i'm not going to give you that one so two and three you beat the dolphins three and three Seahawks crushed you three and four. You beat the Bills four and four. Colts game you absolutely could have had. So yeah, you are looking at a team that could be very like right around five hundred. But and I'll give you one self inflicted wounds.
0: I'll never blame the refs guy, but I was at that Tennessee game and I have never seen a game so, at least from our perspective, because obviously that that Bears game uh, a couple weeks ago was was something to see. But I've never seen a, a game so controlled and dictated the final outcome by the officials.
1: Yeah. It was horrible. So it, was. it is what it is, but yeah, I mean, this is a team that's they're closer to 500 than they are. 0 and nine. Absolutely. Let's say
0: that. Absolutely.
1: Much closer. So that'll do it for the show. Thank you to bold city brewery. One and only sponsor the gin Jack podcast. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, Duval and go Jacks.
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early.